Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Come on, girls. Let's go shopping. That's not a knife. (laughs) This is a knife. What are you looking at? Don't look at a boy jumping there. You're mad, you bastard. Far am you. Far am you. There's no cash here. Here, there's no cash. Alright? Cash, no. Robo? No cash. Swear to Christ, please, you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to Wook G'day and welcome to The Last New Wave, the podcast that's all about the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. This podcast is uh, recorded on the lands of the Wadjuk people of Perth region and I pay respects to their elders, both past, present and emerging. This podcast is also part of the A Lot of Green Podcast Network, which is a brand new podcast network uh, that you can find on allotofgreen.com.au. I'll stick a link in the show notes. You can hear other great shows like Let's Talk About Sects. That's S-E-C-T-S. Great show. I really enjoy that one. Fantastic Histories and Game Hugs, which you might already know if you uh, listen to gaming podcasts in Australia. Anyway, this is a podcast that's about Australian cinema. As I said at the beginning, it's about the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. I've been doing this show for a while, and even though there's only a few episodes that are out um, of this particular revival of the show, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly uh, enjoyed talking with filmmakers about their films and their view on Australian cinema. And this particular episode is no different. On this particular episode, I'm talking with the director of 1%, a new biker film set in Perth, uh, made in Perth actually as well, uh, which is really fantastic and exciting to see. Uh, And you'll hear me talk about that with the director a bit later on. And the director is Stephen McCallum, and it's his first feature film. It's fantastic. It stars Ryan Kaur, Abby Lee, and uh, Aaron Peterson as well, which is great. Uh, it's also got Matt Nabel as Nuck, who is uh, the writer of this particular film. Um, and he plays a really, really interesting character in it. Uh, this guy who's kind of hardened and been in prison and coming back to uh, take over the club that Ryan Kaur's character has been maintaining while he's been in prison. It's intense it's gritty it's a bit nasty it's got a lot of uh male rape in it as well which i thought was a bit interesting um and if you're a fan of sons of anarchy uh, you will really enjoy this particular film and certainly if you're a fan of stone as well you might enjoy it too if the, if you can remember that great australian film from way back when it's a fantastic film um i've watched this twice i watched it at home before I did the interview with Stephen, then I went and watched the press screening as well. And I think that this film actually benefits a lot more from uh, a big screen viewing, uh, especially some of the, uh, the the bikier scenes where they're actually riding on the roads of Perth, going through the Northbridge Tunnel is a fantastic vista uh, to see on a big screen. And the shootout that occurs at the end is really, really brilliant too on a big screen as well. So, you know, if you like that kind of thing, then certainly... Uh, 
this will be your bag. And I'll tell you what, I really like Ryan Core as an actor. I think he did a great job in holding the man. I haven't seen Ladies in Black yet, um, but you know he plays a very, very different character than what he plays here. Uh, but I like what he's got going on in this film. He looks great. You know, he looks really, really uh, scruffy and, and handsome and uh, he's certainly very muscly. So, you know, if you've got the hots for Ryan Core, then this is the, the film that will do it for you. Anyhow, that's enough of me. Um, let's listen to the trailer and we'll be back with the interview with director Stephen McCallum. He couldn't have done what you've done. You need to take charge as soon as you get out. I am in charge. Yeah. And I trust him. He gets out after three years and you just hand everything over to him? I'm back. asking me to look after things and I've done what you asked. Things are different now. Things are different out here now. Not while I'm involved. You listen to me. We've worked too hard to get to where we are. We're not giving that up. Show up. You're the president and do it so the man can see it. I'm the president. Me. You were with me or you're not. You're not the sort of man that walks away from anything. Kill him. How's been the how's the promotional trail been uh, in the lead up to your first film so far? Oh, good. It's it's been um you know we've been it's just sort of doing Matt and Matt and I have been splitting the screenings. Um, so I've got one at a Cinema Nova in Melbourne um, this evening, which should be great. Um, and then uh, Perth next weekend, which is going to be well next Thursday, which is going to be incredible. We've already sold it out. Um, yeah, yeah. Being, being from Perth is a quite a bit of West Australian love, which is nice. Yeah, well, that, that's one of the huge things that I love about this film is that, you know, we, we're kind of getting this resurgence of films made in WA uh, that are set in WA as well, like Son of a Gun and obviously Red Dog and stuff like that. But this is this is fairly uh, unique kind of stuff for a WA set film. So why Perth? Was it, you know, just because of the hometown uh, feels or something else? Uh, yeah, Perth, I mean, Perth's obviously my hometown, uh, first and foremost, but growing up, I mean, one of the fascinations with 1% culture was, you know, as a kid, you grow up and it's such an, a presence that's uh, there. They were kind of like the boogeyman. And, um, you know, I, I just wanted to, it, it really permeates every aspect of Western Australian culture, um, especially in terms of crime culture. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to explore that and uh, show a side of Perth that we haven't seen before, which is, you know, 10 kilometres away from the ocean is a lot different to what most people associate with Perth films. 
Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, you you certainly show a lot of the industrial side of Perth as well, and I think that probably a lot of people would expect it, you know, to be this nice scenic place, or they think of quokkas and all that kind of stuff. But you know, you show a lot more of uh, the environment than than simply, um, you know, the the tunnel, the grain farm farmer tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's it. I mean, yeah, the industrial suburbs of Perth, and you know areas like Hammy Hill um, have, have their own, you know, sort of beauty to them that we want to bring on screen that's uh, different to what people mostly think of when they think of, you know, glorious, sunny, lucky country in Western Australia. Yeah, well, I mean, I must say, obviously, I, I live in Perth, grew up in Perth and all that kind of stuff, so seeing streets that I, oh, right I you know, I come from is, uh, is it's, you know, it's 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 exciting to see basically but it's um it's certainly a lot better than uh like hounds of love which i absolutely loved i thought it was a great film um but that was shot only a few streets away from my house and i was a bit like ah oh, this is probably not the best representation of my suburb but nonetheless <laughs> <laughs> um but one well, percent is... hill as well i think wasn't it it was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know one percent did a little bit better than uh than that making me feel a bit like oh yes you know this is uh, this is nicer. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, fair enough. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so how did you come to the script as well? Because this is your first feature film, but uh, obviously you didn't write it. Matt did. Um, so how did that come about? That's right. Yeah, so um, the script initially came to me through Michael Ponson from Sea Pictures. Um, now, Michael and I went to film school together, um, I think four or five years prior. And um, I did a, a short film there called Six Straws, which was a colonial convict thriller, which he was really impressed with. It was really visceral, really tough, really dark. And he thought I'd be a really good pairing with Matt uh, for, for a one-person um, bikey film. And, um, you know, I read the script and it was really good. It's very different to the film that we've got now. It was more sort of period piece, like set in the 70s, and was more about four gangs fighting for power and... Um, and one of the things that I said moving forward with the development I'd like to do was take all the conflict, put it in one club, make it a real story of, you know, father versus son and amplify and elevate the female characters. Um, but, but in that initial script, Matt had, which had, had written, which was amazing, was this really uh, strong story um, and, and tragic story of a, of a man that has to choose between his father and his brother. And that's been retained all the way through. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I found really interesting is that it deals with that that whole the familial bond that a bikey gang is supposed to have, and then the obvious familial bond of you know brothers and and the the, the difficulty that they're thrown into. And I mean, you've probably heard this a bunch, but yeah, it is very Shakespearean. But there is something uh, about that which lends to the bikey format, um, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely, because, you know, in all the research, and we did, you know, lots of research, it was really about brotherhood and having a family for those that have none. And, you know, the film posits the question, what's the price of loyalty when it makes you turn against your own blood? And, and um, you know, that's the, that's the dilemma Pato faces in the film. So with the, the kind of research that you did, what, what kind of films did you look at? Because obviously, uh, for me, immediately comes to mind, it's like Stone and uh, Sons of Anarchy TV series, which is, you know, has a huge, huge fan base. And uh, surely, yeah. uh, hopefully, there'll be a piggyback on that um, for 1%. But what, what extra kind of research did you do for this film? Yeah, I mean, um, 
I deliberately stayed away from anything bikey genre related. Um, I, my main um, influences were films like Sicario and the True Detective series, sort of that have a um, a kind of a modern gothic um, feel and really heighten the world, but still give it an authenticity. So there were, you know, there's numerous films plus my own just taste as a filmmaker um, comes in. But you know, I was certainly aware of um, Stone and Sons of Anarchy, but really wanted to make this uh sons of anarchy is limited by the fact that it's a tv show like there's no swearing that the violence is is relatively comic book and they they make the um the bikes look cool i wanted to go for something that was a bit more gritty and and visceral in more in the lines of romper stomper that was one of the main influences yeah yeah i can certainly see that in there and i guess in in that regards as well as you're saying that the bikes certainly look a bit cool in in sons of anarchy but there's a particular scene which comes to mind in one percent where you know one of the characters gets out of prison i don't want to really spoil too much but one of the characters gets out of prison and then uh makes fun of somebody else's bike and that uh, you know that was really really fascinating in the way that you're you're taking this this age-old story this age-old kind of uh perspective of bikies and then try and you know modernize it in a lot of ways and the challenges that raise with that um how difficult was that kind of thing and and certainly uh, i guess in some regard did you talk to any bikie gangs and and get their feedback on on modernization of bikie gangs yeah i mean that was an that was a theme that was just constant throughout um in all the research whether it be documentaries or books or speaking to guys face to face which we did um the, the real tension in in all bikey clubs is about the old versus new, you know, ambition versus tradition. And that scene in the film with Pado, um, you know, he's he's trying to legitimise the club. He's trying to make it more um, economically um, fruitful. And Nuck established the club just as a place for his mates to hang out and have fights and go on runs. And those two things are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. So when he comes out and he sees guys wearing hoodies, he's you know. He's taken back, and and uh, you know that that's something that that certainly happens in real clubs at the moment. You know, or has been over the last ten years. This real sort of um, emergence of the Nike bikies, very image conscious. Um, you know, and new younger members as opposed to the more gritty traditional members. Yeah, it it almost feels like you know everybody nowadays needs to have a brand. And everybody needs to have something that, that they can market in some regards. And it feels like that kind of permeation into this subculture. Um, and I find that, I found that really fascinating in the film. There's so many different uh, narrative and thematic threads in it that, that really uh, encourage exploration. Um, so I found that really fascinating. But another one which yeah. is, is really, really curious is the, the assessment of toxic masculinity. How did you go about that? Well, that's a funny one because, I mean, to me, the film was always about toxic masculinity. Um, you know, when we, when we shot it, and we shot it over two years ago now, um, end of 2016, and that's before Me Too, that's before Weinstein, but that element there, that was something that I experienced when I was younger, you know, you, when you're hanging out with the wrong crowd and, you know, you're wanting to be part of something, it's like this... I think I think people, young men especially, have a need to want to prove themselves um, in an, in a world that is very PC and very safe. Entering a, a subculture, be it anything from like you know music through to gangs through to something as dangerous as a bikey club, is about testing yourself and seeing you know if you can, what's it like to explore a darker 
um, world. And um, a lot of that is hinged with this, you know, proving yourself to be a man and things like that and what that means. Um, but ultimately, that's what falls apart in the film. Um, you know, all these guys talk tough and walk tough, but when it actually comes to the crunch, a lot of them are out to their own, their own necks rather than loyalty. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and the way that explodes at the end is is just brilliant. So I'm I'm curious how you went about staging that particular sequence and and what you learned from what challenges you kind of in, encountered as you you went about shooting that. Yeah, um so most of the film was shot we didn't storyboard anything. Um so we went into each scene with the actors. We had a week's rehearsal and then on the day we would rehearse on set and then stage the cameras around them um, so that it felt so the camera was reacting like another person in the room we wanted the camera to feel like it was with the characters so it makes it really intimate so that's for most of the film with the end siege scene we had to approach it a different way which was we did storyboard not storyboard but at least mapped out where we wanted the camera to be and where the actors needed to be at each point in time because it's very intricate um, in terms of what's happening at what particular time. And so, yeah, we just had to really break it down. And because we shot that last, the actors already still brought this raw authenticity and unpredictability, but we were able to, um, you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together when filming so that it, it all made sense when we cut it together. And, you know, I think it works really well. Yeah, it does. It does. And I'm seeing the film again tonight on the big screen, and I'm excited to see how it looks on oh, that. Oh, you're seeing because... it at um, Luna? Yeah, yeah, the I press screening tonight. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, seeing it at Luna, uh, Leaderville, yeah, so they've got a press screen right. on tonight, so I'll be heading to that, um, which I'm very right. excited for, because I, I enjoyed it at home, and, and I'm certain that this will be a film that will uh, benefit even more from uh, a big screen viewing, for sure. Oh, it, it really does, man, like, um, yeah, hopefully they play it loud, it's like a really immersive, you know, experience, um, we, we do get, like, you know, quite a few walkouts, um, and we get people feeling really rattled after the film and that a lot of that comes from the sound as well and seeing it on a big screen so you know hope hope you enjoy it yeah yeah definitely uh, i'm curious as well because this has had a run kind of overseas uh in festival circuits and stuff like that uh first of all how did that go and and what was the experience of that oh i mean that was amazing the, the first festival we played was toronto international film festival which is you know one of the biggest film festivals in the world and um we hadn't really screened the finished film for an audience yet, so I had no idea what people would think about it, whether they would get, first of all, the story, but then also how does it translate for an international crowd. You know, it's a pretty... There's a lot of vernacular in there that's very, very Aussie and sometimes West Aussie. Um, so, yeah, it was... But, but audiences loved it. It had a heap of buzz, lots of hype, and, um, you know, we were lucky enough to sell the film uh, at the market there to A24, which is one of the best distributors indie distributors in the world so yeah it couldn't have gone any better and then you know we went to london fantastic first and um and then and then screened in australia at sydney and melbourne film festivals as well and it's been you know really well received which is which has been wonderful yeah well i mean it's it's deserved it's a good film so you know it's nice to hear that it's not just uh homegrown people who are excited about it but there's international folks as well, and especially, you know, A24 is a great feather to have in your cap. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, I, I'm curious as well, the casting of Ryan Court, like, this is very different from what he's done before. How did you go about that? 
Yeah, well, Ryan, uh, our producer, um, Jamie Hilton, actually suggested Ryan for, um, for Paddo. Um, we, we looked at a lot of actors around his age group um, and, and did auditions and, and whatnot, but Ryan just came in and really... In, because I guess like anybody, and directors should be a little bit more open with this, you kind of always look at actors based on their previous work, and I'd seen, you know, I loved him in Holding the Man, and, but he just came in and he brought this real intensity and physicality but also this wonderful heart and humanity which Ryan just naturally has and the character of Paddo absolutely needed um, but he brought that physicality where he's able to go toe-to-toe with Nuck as well a real courage and you know, I think Ryan does a really great job in the film so um, yeah thrilled with, thrilled with having Ryan as our leading man. Yeah definitely he's he's one of the best actors working today I think and you know, as you mentioned his his performance in Holding the Man is just superb um, and he continually kind of uh, really changes things around a little bit uh, through each performance and certainly you know filmmakers have got two very polar opposite performances to to see from him at the moment in cinemas with one percent and ladies in black at the same time so it's uh you know it's fascinating to see him as an actor working this way yeah (laughs) i mean you couldn't get two bigger realms of the spectrum but at the same time ryan brings in neither of those roles is Ryan inauthentic. He he brings a real side of himself to each of them, which is really you know testament to how good an actor he is. That he can he can really play anything, which is which is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. Look, I I, I appreciate your time and having uh, talked about this film. It's been fantastic. Um, one of the things I like to do when I, I get people on to talk about their films, especially Australian filmmakers, is uh, I like to find out if there's a particular Australian film that they recommend that people seek out that it may be uh, a bit underrepresented or underseen. Um, so is there a film that, Australian film that you really like that you wish that people, more people would know about? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, one of my favourite films, so can this be anything modern or it can a be, little bit older as well? Yeah, whenever. Any part of uh, Australian film history. I reckon a film that people should definitely check out and we owe a big influence in our film just in terms of tone is Ghosts of the Civil Dead by John Hilkert, his first film. Um, It's set in a prison, a kind of semi-futuristic prison and, um, yeah, it's so intense. Um, It's got Nick Cave in it, um, really, and uh, David Field is the star of it as well. It's really, really uncompromising, gritty watch. Yeah, definitely. It's a great film and... One I watched probably a little bit too young and uh, left a, a real mark on me. I watched it at about 12, 13 years of age and uh, probably oh, not the right age. Young. For, but <laughs> yeah, that's a terrifying film. It and, is. Um, I mean, that's the same with Romper Stomper. I, um, I remember seeing the trailer for Romper Stomper when I was about, I would have been like maybe 10 or something like that. And I was just hooked. I, I was like, what is this film? I want to sneak into this film. And... Um, and that's something I wanted to make with this film, with something, a film that kids would want to sneak into. So, um, you know, hopefully we've done that. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Well, thank you very much, Stephen, for your time. I really appreciate it. And I hope the screening goes well at Cinema Nova tonight. And certainly it will go uh, gangbusters at Luna next week as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure we've sold out already. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. Okay, great. Well, that's, that's really exciting. So... Um, and it's exciting that it's going to, you know, um, your events in Boyd Cinemas as well. So hopefully everybody uh, comes along and, and supports the new Aussie film. 
So that was director Stephen McCallum talking about his feature debut film, 1%. And certainly, you know, from my perspective, it sounds like Stephen's going to have a really, really big career, especially uh, with the way that 1% has been picked up for American distribution, uh, which is fantastic to see. And I think that American audiences will lap it up because it's certainly... uh, you know, it certainly ticks all that Sons of Anarchy box um, that a lot of people really enjoy. And you know what? There was somebody I was talking to at work recently about this film, and they were really anticipating it. And and they certainly didn't seem like the sort of person who I would uh, have have pegged for watching a film about bikies in Perth. But they love Sons of Anarchy, and they love that kind of thing. So certainly, you know, they are the uh, the, the there is a market out there for this kind of film. So head along, go and see 1%. Go and get your friends, your family to go and watch it as well because it's a really solid film. Ryan Core is fantastic in it. Uh, one of Australia's best working actors, I think. He's he's just fantastic in whatever he does. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed this interview and hopefully you enjoy what I do here with The Last New Wave and, and you get a bit of uh, insight into how Australian cinema is made and what goes into Australian cinema. There are a few things in the pipeline that are coming up uh, regarding the Actor Awards. Uh, Nominations will be out in about two weeks. 1% is uh, up for some uh, possible uh, nominations. Hopefully Ryan Kaur gets a a nomination there. I think he's certainly deserving of it. Um, You know, I'll have a few things coming along the lines. You can follow up with the the podcast on the website, which is thecurb.com.au. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash the curb au as well as twitter twitter.com forward slash the curb au alternatively head over to that podcast website that i was telling you about before a lot of green.com.au again the link will be in the show notes if you uh, also want to go the extra step and help out the show a little bit more you can head over to patreon.com forward slash the curb au throw as little as a dollar at my way and it will help the show continue on going which would be fantastic anyhow Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Last New Wave. Hopefully you enjoyed it and hopefully you head along to go and see 1%, which is out in cinemas from the 18th of October 2018. And if you're listening to this in the future, then you'll be able to find it on some kind of streaming service, I'm sure. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next episode of The Last New Wave. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.